What flavor chips are they, Sadie? Let me they... let me piss off Jen preemptively by talking <laughs> about food at the start of the podcast. They are unsalted white corn tortilla chips. What? Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> we we don't need to discuss that as long unsalted. as we talked about the McFlurries. Oh you could stop it unsalted. What is the point of eating a chip if there's no salt on it? It's a vehicle for her olive yeah. hummus. Everything else has too much salt. I don't know. <laughs> it's too I do much prefer salt salted, otherwise. salty chips, but I get the lightly salted popcorn when I get popcorn to make at home. Mm. I also eat unsalted popcorn. <laughs> I like to save because I can only eat like I've built myself up to where I can eat half of the spice pack in ramen, you know, but then I save the other half to use for other stuff like putting in my popcorn and I oh, would recommend it. A chef amongst us. <laughs> 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 Didn't know we had John Favreau here. <laughs> hey, speaking of John Favreau, I watched a YouTube video of like Wolfgang Puck reviewing Chef, and for some reason, maybe it's just the algorithm, but Wolfgang Puck has been all over my YouTube lately. Is Wolfgang Puck having some kind of moment, or is the algorithm just trying to like force feed me Wolfgang Puck? That depends on who Wolfgang Puck is. Oh no. Who is Wolfgang Puck? <laughs> Hang on, I'm Googling. He's he's the first like celebrity chef. Before there was Gordon Ramsay, there was Wolfgang mm. Puck. He's Austrian-American. He is 72 years old. He has had three spouses and many children. His claim to fame is a smoked salmon pizza, uh, which sounds terrible to me. Mm, I'm gonna stop you right there with that one. <laughs> wow, he opened his first restaurant before any of us were alive. <laughs> anyway, welcome to our new food review podcast. You should see the other guy. <laughs> In which we ostensibly watch a movie, typically a romantic comedy, as we actually did this week, and tell you why the person that the protagonist chose to fall in love with was the wrong choice. But really, we just use that as a vehicle to talk about food. I'm Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Samantha, and we've only talked about chips for three minutes. We got it out of our system. And I, I, I repent of my McFlurry discussion, although I can't promise it won't happen again. And self-introduction. I am Sadie, and I will be talking about an Oreo McFlurry again if Hannah chooses to bring me one, which she probably won't. But if she does, th then we pause the podcast, and it's just going to be Sadie's Oreo McFlurry review once again. That's fair. If an Oreo McFlurry surprise presents itself to you in the midst of recording, we can briefly discuss Oreo McFlurries again. Though if you want to listen to us talk about Oreo McFlurries at length, you should listen to our most recent episode on the movie After Midnight. This week, we are talking about the classic mid-2000s Katherine Heigl, James Marsden rom-com, 27 Dresses, which Sadie has put aside her chips, her unsalted chips and olive hummus to summarize for us. Ahem. Yes, yes. Okay. As Jen said, we will be covering 27 Dresses, starring Katherine Heigl, the darling of the specifically mid to late 2000s rom-coms, a very treacherous area 
And also James Marsden coming hot off the heels of Hairspray 2007, <laughs> John Travolta and Nikki Blonsky. <laughs> um, anyway, which by the way, I watched that like five times in theaters and then I bought it and I watched it on repeat on DVD. <laughs> Good times. Good Who's times. the pop star they put in into that? They Efron? always like- Zac Efron. No. He was in like the, everything that I feel like. It was Zac Efron. It was a girl, right? They always find some like singer to be who can't act to be like, hey, be in this Broadway adaptation. I thought it was like, and I still have, I have never seen this movie, but is Britney Snow in it? Oh, you know what? I might be thinking of Britney. <laughs> no, Amanda Bynes was in it, but yeah. Amanda Bynes is not a singer. Anyway. False memory. Queen Latifah? But she's a singer <laughs> and an actress. And she can act. So I, no, act. I am not disparaging Queen Latifah. Let me make that clear. <laughs> Already painted into a corner five minutes in. <laughs> wow. This just in. Samantha <laughs> thinks that Queen Latifah can't act. Okay. Anyway, back to 27 Dresses. I'm sorry for talking about Hairspray for five minutes. Okay. So the plot of this movie is very simple. I wrote that in my in my summary but my summary is hella long so maybe it's not as simple as i thought when i was when i was in it um anyway katherine heigl stars as jane a personal assistant who has a terminal case of eldest daughter disease right so she has essentially been the caretaker of both her father and her younger sister after their mother's death and she grows up into a woman who has been a bridesmaid to 27 brides um, I'm unclear. I can't remember if she was the bridesmaid or specifically the maid of honor for each one. I'm just going to say bridesmaid, but it looks like she is the maid of honor most of the time. She was kind of like the de facto maid of honor, even if she wasn't the maid of honor. Like she was holding the dress while the brides pee and all that stuff. Yeah, which is classic maid of honor antic. Um, and so it starts when she's a little <laughs> kid and she kind of falls in love with weddings. And this was right after her mom dies. So like that's kind of her villain origin story. So um, <laughs> her brides are maid of honor origin story. One particular sum- Sunday... She is the maid of honor to two weddings happening at the same night. Uh, This is set in New York City, by the way, because of course it is. Um, But could you imagine how much more fun this would have been if it had been set in Chicago? You know, just a thought. Rom-coms, please, please set yourself somewhere other than Seattle or New York. I'm begging you. That's an unrelated thing. But anyway, um, while she's rushing back and forth between these two weddings happening at the same time, you know, she's in a cab changing back and forth. Um, somehow she's good enough friends with these women to be their maid of honors, but they don't know each other somehow. Like they would have, like if they knew each other, they would have to know that she's in the wedding party for both of them and also that their weddings are on the same day. So I don't really understand her friend group, but that is a plot hole that never gets tied up anyway. Uh, While she's doing this, she meets Kevin Doyle, played by James Marsden. And he is a terminal cynic who also, because of course he is, (laughs) who also happens to write the wedding announcements at the New York Times. um, And Jane loves his writing. uh, And he writes under the pseudonym Malcolm Doyle. 
Right. So on this night after the wedding's end, right, he was there covering one of them. Uh, They share a cab. They instantly dislike each other. And she forgets her planner in the cab. Very Cinderella moment. Um, He takes it and discovers he has hit the treasure trove of, holy shit, this woman has like five weddings lined up next week and she is the bridesmaid in all of them. (laughs) Like, like this woman is next level. So that's, that's the first plot of him. He comes in a little bit later. But separately from her wedding obsession, she is the personal assistant to this sports slash outdoor magazine company business owner, George, played by Edward Burns, whom I hate. Uh, she's in love with him. He is oblivious. He's like a golden boy. She's besotted, etc, etc. And also her best friend is Casey played by Judy Greer. That's all you really need to know. Judy Greer is amazing. I wish that she was in more leads, but she just really ties the movie together as the quintessential funny best friend in a rom-com. Anyway, enter Jane's fun-loving, freewheeling, entirely selfish younger sister Tess, played by Malin Ackerman. I believe that's how you say her name. Uh, And she also played Gertrude in The Proposal. Fun fact, go listen to our proposal episode to hear more about her. Anyway, within one night at this work party that also is set at a golf club, I I don't know, Tess hits it off with George uh, and Jane is very, very upset about it in secret. And George, for his part, has absolutely no problem having sex with his personal assistant's sister. So that crosses no lines, I guess. None, none at all. Uh, Things escalate between Tess and George before Jane's horrified eyes. Uh, Tess very quickly hides everything about herself as well. So like George is a vegetarian, outdoorsy dog lover, and Tess is a meat-eating, club-going dog killer. I don't know. Like Tess like fucking hates dogs. Like to the point where I would be like... (laughs) Sorry. I had to unmute to let my laugh at that be heard. (laughs) Tess the dog killer. Carry on, Sadie. (laughs) Like she is kind of like dis she dislikes dogs to the point where it's like kind of disconcerting. But anyway, um, so Tess does all of this because I guess she likes him, right? So she just lies about every aspect of her personality, which drives Jane up the fucking wall. Uh and also, did I mention that Tess was, is living with Jane this entire time? So like sometimes Jane will come home from her work where she works with her boss and then come home and find him making out with her sister on her couch. So that's not weird at all. <laughs> um, let's see. It all happens so fast. Also, like like in the, in the next scene, George proposes to Tess, right? So... To recap, in an indetermined amount of time, but cannot be longer than three months, um, Tess and George meet, she lies about everything that she is, and he um, asks her to marry him. And then Tess then asks Jane to be her maid of honor. And Jane is seeing red, but she doesn't say anything about it. Um, Meanwhile, James Marsden... I refuse to call him Kevin in this movie. He is set on writing a feature story about Jane, right? This woman who has been a bridesmaid, 500, 5,500, 
89 billion times. Um, so to do this, he arranges to be the wedding announcer reporter covering Tess and George's wedding, right? So he appears and Jane is like flabbergasted and upset because he she hates him and he gave her back her planner, but he like ripped out some pages earlier on in the movie. Like he's just, she just doesn't like him. Uh, however, after showing him her secret stash of 27 bridesmaid dresses, which he photographs, wink, wink, that won't be part of any type of article, wink, wink. Um, and also bonding over their weird relationships with weddings because she is obsessed with them. And then he had a really bad experience where he had a really big wedding with his wife, his ex-wife, and then she cheated on him, whatever, of course she did. Um, Jane and James Marsden begin to like each other. And at one point, while stranded in the middle of upstate New York after hydroplaning and also doing a very drunk rendition of Elton John's Benny and the Jets, they kind of get a little bit of a thing going and eventually they have sex in, in the car, in the hydroplaned vehicle. <laughs> the next morning, they, they're both very flirty, very warm with each other. They're having lunch at the local diner in this random upstate New York town. Uh, but then Jane sees the morning New York Times and sees it, uh, that Kevin James Marston has published a story about a psychopathic woman who has been a perpetual sev 27 times bridesmaid. Uh, and she is very, very upset, obviously, <laughs> but because he fully didn't tell her. Um, he's very apologetic and he tells her that he tried to pull the story and have it not be published, but she is like fuck you and blows him off and Tass of course is just enraged that he that he called her a bridezilla in the newspaper she does not give any thought to Jane at all um additionally Jane reaches her personal boiling point with Tess when it's revealed that Tess has taken their mother's wedding dress, the one that Jane always dreamt of wearing on her wedding day, and completely destroyed it to make it something hip and trendy and instantly dated and ugly and boring. Um, I guess it's supposed to like look like that. They really hit the nail on the head, but Jane calls her a selfish bitch and she then exposes Tess later at Tess and George's engagement slash pre-wedding party by showing her eating meat, kicking dogs, being a terrible person um, on a slideshow. George breaks it off. Tess is distraught and angry at James, or at Jane, Jane, and James Marsden gives Jane a Blackberry. It's, it sounds bad, but it was very, it was a cute apology scene where he gives her this, well, I didn't even think it was a Blackberry. It was like a, something that definitely. Not the fruit. Let's clarify. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for listeners yeah, yeah. who may not remember the uh, business smartphone that was ubiquitous at the time. Yeah, that was yeah, a well, I even know if it was like, a blackberry i think it was like a like, like some type of extremely obsolete object now by our standards but it was like a little personal maybe it planner, was just like but it looked like a blackberry a voice recorder like he was carrying around yeah also quite dated it should have been a banana phone <laughs> <I'll>, uh. <laughs> oh can you imagine a little banana shaped phone <gasps> samantha <laughs> Samantha, you're too successful with a banana phone suggestion. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, Jane realizes that she needs to get her shit together. She needs to apologize, but also start to have a spine develop. Um, and so she goes and she apologizes to George and admits that she had loved him for a really long time. George kisses her, but she is not feeling it. And she goes instead and crashes the wedding that James Marsden is covering. And they make up. She confesses her love and they kiss. Uh, cut forward one year later, which is very much too soon, in my opinion. Like, it would take a year just to plan a wedding, I feel. Especially the one of this magnitude. But anyway, uh, after a year, it shows them getting married at a beach, uh, with her in a different, also kind of bland-looking dress that is not her mother's. And I guess the writers just scrapped the idea of her wanting to get married where her parents did halfway through the movie. Right. And I guess her mother's dress just ended up in the trash. <laughs> anyway, and then it shows all 27 of her bridesmaids. They came through for her after all. Uh, the end. And also, it's very funny to me that she had 27 dresses, but I assume that he definitely did not have 27 groomsmen. So it just looks like he has no friends, which I'm sure he doesn't have a whole lot of friends. But I just <laughs> think it's funny. Like, she's wildly popular and that he has like two <laughs> friends. <laughs> anyway, the end. He's like hiring out to try to get some dudes to stand over there to yeah. match the sheer amount of women they like built a whole pier for to stand on her side of the aisle they're just skipping straight to the end stage of heterosexuality which is the husband has zero friends maybe like one person he goes golfing with every month and then the wife has like a book club or something, you know, they're just like <laughs> a book club turned that up to 11 from the start. 29 members. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because as Sadie astutely pointed out, what the fuck is going on with this woman's social life? She is somehow like the most trusted, like there as the maid of honor for all these women, but she apparently does not interact with anyone regularly besides her one friend who is Judy Greer. She also has a very racially diverse group of friends for a woman who's willing to entertain like mockery of Japanese attire and yeah. <laughs> uh, when James Marsden like makes fun of that dress or whatever she like knows someone of every race whose wedding she's attended she's a woman who was in a plantation wedding in a yes. dress but she is also <laughs> in an Indian wedding and a Japanese wedding and uh, yeah there's a lot going on here <laughs> So we've got to suspend some disbelief about her. And also, when would she have the time to have this many friends, given that her job seems quite demanding as well? Uh, they should have made her something more leisurely, as they do in rom-coms, like she's a magazine feature writer or something. I don't know. <laughs> More like James Marsden's job here. He is devoted solely to writing about weddings for like the, the New York Times equivalent in the movie, which seems like a pretty good gig, but he is desperate to escape it for bigger and presumably better things. Yeah, yeah. Strong journalism feels in this movie, which we'll get to. Sadie, connoisseur of rom-coms. Where does this one rank in the pantheon? I really, I, I enjoy this one. I enjoy this rom-com. I think not just by 
the mid 2000s standards. Like if you put it there, then it is leagues above what was coming out around the same time. But I think just on its own, it has both a very, very, very stereotypical format of, you know, like the meet cute, the instant dislike, she's very optimistic, he is a cynic, and then fate kind of forces them together. And then she realizes, oh, this guy that I never thought that I would be into, I suddenly like him. You know, it's it's very textbook rom-com. Um, but I think that it also is very unique. Like this concept of always a bridesmaid, never a bride is the focal point of it. And we've talked before about how rom-coms in this era very rarely care about the characters. They basically just take a concept, in this case, the woman who was always the bridesmaid and never the bride, and then they turned it into a movie. But they gave enough care and thought into her and also into her relationships with her sister and herself and also her dad to an extent um, that I think it, it really works. And I love how they never make George seem like a bad person. And my one criticism is that they kind of make Tess so much of a bitch that when she has her like quote unquote redemption moment, it doesn't really feel like genuine at all. It's like you're still kind of a terrible person, but whatever. And I also really like at the end where she is the one to kind of chase after him and she has this moment where she confesses her love. I think it's I think it's nice. Um, I know that there are definitely problematic elements to it. Like you would be hard pressed to find any rom-com that doesn't have problematic elements, especially in this time period but it's very enjoyable and it's sweet. And I love the Benny and the Jet scene, which I'm sure we will talk about. Talk about street culture, the Benny and the Jet scene. (laughs) (laughs) Peak street culture. I agree with you, Sadie. I think there's a surprising amount of depth to it. And I will liken it unto the release of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was Ah, co-created by Aileen Brosh McKenna, um, who wrote the screenplay for 27 Dresses, where when people heard the description of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and specifically the title, they were like, oh, gosh, that sounds really dicey. And then they watched it and it was playing with tropes, but it added a lot of complications, depth, layers, and really paid attention over the course of its lifetime to relationships between the characters and between the primary and the secondary and the tertiary and the primary and the secondary and the tertiary characters in ways that this movie also does. So yeah, on its face, it's like, oh no, he's writing an article about her and she doesn't know. But the movie doesn't just kind of hang on that premise. It's doing a lot with her feelings about her career, her sister, her place in her life, her relationships with men. And it is just like there's there's a lot there to dig into that you wouldn't expect based on Catherine Heigl Adi's rom-com cough the ugly truth close cough (laughs) yeah I was thinking the same thing and I didn't realize until watching the credits when um roll when when this movie ended I was like Aileen Brosh McKenna that seems familiar oh co-creator of crazy ex-girlfriend with Rachel Bloom which I love and yeah I think that that goes such a long way. I mean, just to give her all the credit here, you know, I mean, I'm sure there were many other people involved in making this happen, but that Catherine Heigl actually comes across like a, a person 
in this movie, even though on paper, it sort of seems like she could be, she is very known for playing this like uptight character in rom-coms of the time, but she seems more personable here. And and compared to The Ugly Truth, it is kind of wild. We've also got to bring, give James Marsden some credit here too. Like one of his first lines to her, and I mean, I guess this is where they're trying to make him hateable, you know, the immediately. He says something creepy to her about like, oh, I like your thong. Because like in what world would anyone think yeah. that this was an appropriate and okay thing to say to someone else? But then he... He, he manages to, you know, sort of not Gerard Butler himself through the, the rest of the film. And Benny and yeah, the Jets, like- I mean, that was a scene. <laughs> <laughs> he really goes there. In that uh, uh, James Marsden, like, enthusiastically, like, you know, launching himself into the singing. I mean, Samantha wants to talk about straight culture, but you really can, like, get a bar of straight people going if you get two conventionally attractive straight people to look kind of drunk (laughs) and, like, loudly wail a popular song. (laughs) Yeah, I realize it's an Elliot. God, how could I, how could I mess up his name? My brain is so fried (laughs) to death. Elliot Elton John. I realize it's an Elton John song, but um, uh, I guess if they had made it Journey, that would be peak peak straight culture. But in general, oh, people singing God. in a sports bar, ooh, that's a situation I don't want to be in. I can't believe Get they out of her bare feet on the bar top. That did stretch the limits of belief. Slightly. You know they don't care. Yeah, is this coyote ugly or 27 dresses? Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> At least in Coyote Ugly, they're wearing shoes, which I mean, arguably is no less disgusting, but just somehow seeing bare toes on a bar top. I would also think that would be super dangerous because like, aren't you going to like slip in somebody's like Coors Light spillage and, you know, fall to your death? But moving on, other points are ready to be made. Well, I don't remember what I was going to say. Maybe this was what I was going to say, but I... Going back to Samantha's, um, when she touched on like how it's, it's, it's a rom-com, but it's also about like her job and what she wants to be and kind of the personal growth and stuff. One of my favorite scenes is when she quits at the end and she's like, I came here after college and I was so wrapped up in you that I kind of, and like, I just got so comfortable and I just got stuck. And I think that's one of the things that I love about rom-coms is when the characters are kind of stuck in something and then they meet someone new that they, you know, they're, they're stuck and they're unhappy. And then they meet someone who kind of makes them remember who they wanted to be and kind of shakes them out, shakes them awake. And it's not always done well, you know, but in this case, I think that it was a perfect way of doing it. Like James Marsden's character is 100% not the person that she ever thought that she would end up with. And yet we get enough scenes between the two of them that them falling in love feels somewhat realistic. I mean, I would have liked more scenes with them. But you know, I feel like in the middle part of the movie, like the beginning middle part, I feel like he really takes a backseat. And I, I like the way that Tess and her kind of interact, but I would have appreciated some more of James Marston in the movie, um, especially because Tess was so infuriating. What did you both think of Tess? <laughs> 
I it's hard for me to besmirch Malin Ackerman. You know, I I have a well-established Malin Ackerman crush on this podcast. I mean, I think she was great with her, like as a as a character. <laughs> So intense are my feelings of adoration <laughs> that I, I cannot disentangle her from Tess. I feel like it's really interesting. Um, this movie kind of takes two people. And to come back to James Marsden, I guess is my jumping off point here. I think that he really is a person. That That's always been such an eye-roll-inducing thing when he is a person but when when you know famous beautiful actresses complain that they've been sidelined and not gotten the best roles because they are just too beautiful you know i think that that actually kind of happened to james marsden um he's just kind of too cartoonishly ridiculously good looking of a man that yeah he usually he gets cast he was kind of like he was sort of the joke role as cyclops to you know hugh jackman's wolverine and he's he usually is sort of he often is the other guy i feel like this is one of the rare instances where he actually does get the girl in the end um (laughs) and i feel like malin ackerman maybe has a little like i i wonder about that because she has a career where she so often ends up playing the other the other girl or you know the competition where they kind of make her hateable um she just looks too conventionally good but then she like literally hates dogs you know or like is holding a cat upside down by its feet in a picture in this movie it it was weird um so it's sort of like she seems like she should be somebody who would be like a rom-com queen in her own right but i just don't think she projects like i guess the the vulnerability that casting directors want (laughs) from from the main protagonist of a rom-com because yeah and sadie i agree with you as an actor i think she really she did so much to sell that scene where she and and Catherine Heigl make up at the end of this movie because they had set her up to be so just cartoonishly dislikable that that was a really tough sell to turn it around like that on a dime. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, positive feelings about Malin Ackerman, the actress as a whole, but wow, her character really did get the short shrift in this particular film. Yes. Well cast though, because I think she's part of what makes Katherine Heigl so endearing in this movie is like Katherine Heigl gets to play against someone who is like freakishly Scandinavian supermodel beautiful and not just like normal conventionally attractive surreal beautiful yeah if that makes no, sense no it does because Catherine Heigl yeah. is so fucking beautiful that it is so weird in, in the ugly truth to see people treating her like she is not freakishly beautiful so <laughs> if and kind of with the way they styled them and lit them and everything in this movie Malin Ackerman did sort of like give that like oh okay we can see Catherine Heigl feeling like she's in the shadow here whereas it's just like what just a real head scratcher in some other Katherine Heigl vehicles yeah and I also think that in this movie Katherine Heigl is like other rom-coms of this time period really love giving the heroines like the blandest outfits the blandish like job and no personality And I do think that that is a little bit of the case here, but at least they kind of worked it into her personality, like that she maybe 
isn't naturally like this, but she's just so used to taking the back seat to let other people shine that that just naturally bleeds into herself. But she has this very fun inner core. Like, you know, she has all these really fun bridesmaids dresses and she obviously is a very good friend and she has funny one-liners and she can, you know, you know what I mean? So I, I think that it's very fun. And also the Benny and the Jet scene, like they managed to show a fun side of her without like in the ugly truth, making it like really weird and like off tone raunchy just because it was <laughs> the 2000s. Um, but I... <laughs> I was also going to say, um, Jen, you talking about James Marston as like kind of a cartoonishly good looking person who kind of is sidelined. Uh, I, once again, I'll bring up one more time. I've been watching Westworld and James Marsden, if neither of you have seen it. I have. Um, He's great in it. Yeah, but I feel like that's exactly the role that he plays. That's kind of like tongue in cheek of James Marsden. Like he plays... Um, I'm, spoilers for Westworld, I guess. But he plays a robot called Teddy Flood, who is kind of like, that's his role, is he's just a really, really attractive looking cowboy who his whole role is to like be the other guy that the the guests in the park have to beat in order to get with the girl. So he's just, he's, he's like a built-in other guy who's doomed to fail every time because he's just so cartoonish attractive and good looking but so like when you beat him it feels satisfactory or whatever he's like deconstructing his persona in that show it's like yeah. james marston uh uh I, what do they call it i guess they do call it deconstructed at fancy restaurants <laughs> where they're like we've made you a s'more with marshmallow <laughs> gastrique and chocolate reduction you know, i it is so funny. I'm going to keep this to less than one minute, but it is so funny that you bring that up because I have been eating deconstructed s'mores. <laughs> oh, wavelength. <laughs> Jen, Jen's fingernails digging into her knees right now. <laughs> I have been. I I I will put the marshmallow onto the graham cracker and I microwave it just enough for it to get gooey gooey. I don't add a top graham cracker so that it doesn't smush the marshmallow around. Oh, open face. And then I take a bite of I take a bite of that and then I take a bite of the chocolate because I like it when the chocolate is cold but the marshmallow is hot and gooey. I don't know that that's deconstructed so much as just out of sequence and weird. <laughs> I think it's deconstructed. It's all of the essential parts separated. You, use- I, you have to break down the ingredients. It has to be like graham cracker crumbles on top of melted chocolate in a marshmallow soup or something. Okay, well, I make these at 11 p.m. at night, Samantha, so I... I give Sadie the point here because it's technically not constructed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Very little cooking involved in a s'more. It's, It's hard to label it a creation it's more of an assemblage to use Um, a graduate school term (laughs) it is an art form how dare you (laughs) well i just i really like katherine heigl in this movie and i don't like her in a lot of stuff like the scene where she's trying on all the dresses 
she there are moments of like i see facial expressions on her face that no other director has like managed to get out of her in that decade where she just looks genuinely like unguarded relatable like silly and fun um yes and yeah i wanted to talk about that scene as well because aside from the there's a few record scratch like whoa like major like racist cultural insensitivity here but if you edited out those parts that scene holds up so well it's so charming where she's just wearing the you know regularly ugly dresses and we don't have to get into you know the politics of the weird antebellum gowns and all that stuff um and they have so much fun and it's that sells their chemistry more to me like i don't think that you could have put the benny and the jets scene in the movie if you had not already laid that foundation with the trying on the dresses scene though i did think it was a little weird which obviously he had to do because he was writing secretly writing this article about her. I am the only non-journalist on this podcast. So journalistic ethics here seem quite hazy to me that he is in her apartment taking photos of her with her having no idea that they're going to be published in like the New York Times equivalent aside. I did think that that was a little weird because this is still in the days when like literally I I just looked it up. This movie did come out in 2008. I watched it with my now sister-in-law in in 2008 in her apartment in New York, I guess when it had come out where we could rent it or whatever. And uh, but yeah, you did have those shitty little cameras with the flash and then you would upload it all to Facebook and albums later, you know, and I'm sort of like, girl, why are you not a little suspicious that this man has come over and just started wanting to like do a photo shoot with you in your apartment? and all these dresses. This is a little weird, but it was 2008, baby. It kind of felt normal. Yeah, I... I that is something that I was kind of thinking as well. Like it's very, I think it would be completely common and like not really even like a give it a second thought to do that now because you just have a phone. So it's just like, oh, you know, taking pics, you know, it doesn't really matter. But like he had to bring out the cool pics camera. The cool <laughs> pics. And again, that was shot. why it struck me as a little weird because we did, we had the little cool pics cameras to take our little club photos and stuff back then. But this is a guy, you're on like the pseudo date with like what is he gonna do with those photos like you know like what is is he sending he just wants them for later i know that just seems a little bit like um a little forward my dude but (laughs) please ask me before you take these like masturbation photos and these hideous like (laughs) 80s dresses that somebody (laughs) weirdly made you wear in 2004 but (laughs) carry on sadie all hideousness of that of that one, well, I guess not hideous is the right word, all awkwardness of that one aspect aside, I love the scene also because it's like the first yeah. time where they, like, she is still very apprehensive about him as a person and he himself doesn't really see her as anything more than like a story or just kind of a, you know, kind of a, a rose-tinted person that he doesn't really care about. And so they both kind of go into this particular meeting like she's just wanting to get over with he's also just kind of wanting to get it over with so that he can get what he needs and then go and then they end up just like having a really fun time and like talking about deeper stuff and so that kind of lays the foundation for the the later scenes that they have together like I think the the price checking scene where he reveals that he had a wife that 
you know, cheated on him. And that's kind of why he's so dated. Which, by the way, I think it's very funny how we kind of acted like a little bit of an asshole in that scene where she like made a kind of joke about it. And then he's just like, yeah, you're right. And she's like, oh, shit, I'm sorry, man. He's like, no, you're right. You're right. I'm like, bro, she couldn't have known. Um, But yeah, anyway, that's a good scene also. (laughs) And then later, obviously, the Benny and the Jet scene. So it just kind of goes in stages, which I appreciate. I read on IMDb that they had to go back and redesign a lot of the dresses to look worse because no matter what they made, everything just looked good on Katherine Heigl, which um, is a funny fact and also one that fills you with rage at how freakishly beautiful (laughs) anyone who works in Hollywood is. Where they're like, we threw some fabric together, it's brown and gray and shapeless, <laughs> put it on, and then Katherine Heigl puts it on and it looks like she the just most looks beautiful amazing. thing in the world. I've got it, I, I did notice, and this was also a callback to The Ugly Truth, which, you know, actually full offense to the costume department of The Ugly Truth, because I think that they were trying to make them look <laughs> yeah. good there. But poor Katherine Heigl's boobs have suffered more crimes against them in her film career like <laughs> that, that I think it's the main way that they tried to make her look bad in this in like the relatively normal dress at the beginning is just making it like look horribly painful and not be fitted correctly to her bust area and in the ugly truth my god I don't know how uh, like she looked like she must have been in physical pain though she is an actor so she was smiling while wearing some of the dresses and that but yeah like what the fuck <laughs> can I ask a burning question you may what does urban Everest do what what is it is it like Jim's sports company in the office where you it's just doing something vaguely cool but we don't know what it's actual product is I was under the impression that it was like an outdoorsy magazine that's what I thought it was too because I thought it was like an eco-friendly gear and apparel company like North Face or she said something at one point when she's like talking him up and then trying to talk him down to her sister Malin Ackerman that he he started it out of his apartment and then it's grown. I thought that it was like magazine related, but maybe it's like a magazine and that mostly it exists for to do advertisements and sell stuff. I don't know. But I also am with Sadie thinking that Edward Burns was very well cast in this. Oh, and this is also our second Edward Burns, right? Because he was in The Holiday as the guy who was cheating on Cameron Diaz at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But he, he plays a very good, um, like, super blandly handsome guy that you can sort of see why the woman's into him, but then you're also sort of like, him? Like, really? Like, what is there? What's there? Yeah, like, he seems like a nice person, but I just really dislike his voice. Like, no offense to him, but it, it is, he is perfectly cast as like, yes, he is a very nice guy, but also very few people who watch it actually want her to end up with him. Which is why my case for the other guy <laughs> is Judy Greer, well who I believe twice oh, makes gosh. allusions to being sexually fluid. 
in some way. Even I'm into you now. Oh, yeah. She was casting eyes at her hardcore. Oh, so he is still married to Christy Turlington. I was gonna, all I knew about Edward Burns, the actor, is that he used to be involved with Heather Graham and then he was married to Christy Turlington, but he still is, apparently. So good for him on his lasting marriage to a supermodel. Now let's talk about Judy Greer. She clearly just is in love with her best friend. Yeah. Um, She's having like these meaningless hookups with the guys from the packaging department who bring her tequila or whatever. But she knows that, that Catherine Heigl is in game if she just weren't so tragically heterosexual. And I do think that they would be so well balanced between the two. Yeah. She, Sadie, she has that same jaded energy as the James Marston character. So why not just, you know, hop on over to the Judy Greer side if you like if you like jaded hot people. Yeah. You know what? I bet Judy Greer's performance of Benny and the Jets on that bar top would have fucking like burned the place down. Oh my God. You're so right, Jen. <laughs> How many movies have we done with Judy Greer in them so far, do you think? Wait, have I'd we had at Judy least Greer? like Five. She, uh, you often forget because she's just slotted in as the best friend character, and then and then I'm she comes back. Also, yes, it is a magazine. Urban Everest is a magazine. Wow. So present day, uh, what's his name? Probably not doing so hot. Magazine industry. <laughs> flailing right now you think he got back with um with the sister tess our girl malin ackerman at the end of it or if they just had that awkward conversation and then god you know what i bet samantha's true actor love malin ackerman is the one since katherine heigl ended up marrying james marsden i bet malin ackerman ended up with judy greer is this somehow the first judy greer rom-com we've done that's insane i think it is (laughs) we've done like fucking 70 of these movies <laughs> and, and and never Judy Greer I think that's a testament to how often we stray from rom-coms okay I've got to say when your all's moms your three moms were fighting uh, in the group chat this past week because I Jennifer enjoyed the movie from last week Samantha liked it fine <laughs> Sadie fucking hated it instead Samantha was hungry and wanted to derail all chat to be about Oreo McFlurries and so we were in a little snit um, where the hell was I going with this to talk about Judy I was serene oh, but I must Storms note, were raging, but I was floating <laughs> above them. I must note that when Samantha put this podcast together, apparently she recruited our rom-com expert, Sadie, by telling her that this was a podcast that would specifically focus on rom-coms. Whereas when Samantha recruited me to co-host this podcast, she told me it was a podcast about other guys, which can, you know, come from a lot of different But what does that mean, Jen? Other it's guys. just a shift in emphasis. I did what I had to do. I regret nothing. When If you watch any Oceans movie, when you recruit people, you don't give them the same pitch. You, time, you adjust the pitch according to the character's motivation. So what I am saying is that from my perspective, I do not think that we have often strayed. When we stray from from Gen View here, it's when we watch a movie where there is no good viable other 
other guy candidate. <laughs> However, <laughs> when we stray from Sadie's perspective is much more often because Starship Troopers is not really a rom-com. I'll give you that. And, and for me, I don't <laughs> think it's possible for us to stray because what I enjoy about this podcast is just talking to both of you lovely people. <laughs> Samantha, we love you, but neither of us have forgiven you yet. In the same room. Well, anyway, Judy Greer Judy is Greer. great. Let's shift hatred away from me and shift toward <laughs> love for Judy Greer, who is fantastic. And I think finally got to headline her own movie a little while back. It was like a Hulu horror movie about her having a killer small dog or something like that. Like she adopts a small dog that ends up murdering people. Like goes all Cujo. And Wow. Yeah. And it's like, God damn it. Judy Greer is great at playing the best friend, but it makes me mad that no one in the rom-com era was like, let's do a big studio rom-com with this girl that you've seen fucking everywhere. Did you know that in real life, like currently, apparently Judy Greer is best friends with Jennifer Garner? God, I love that. That's because of 13 going on 30. I just know it. (laughs) Which we should do. Oh, yeah, we should do that one because I've never seen it before and it seems charming. (gasps) I'd be down. Sadie, do you have a favorite Judy Greer role? A favorite Ju- Judy Greer com? The Greer cast? Should we should we narrow even further? Is that what I you want? Love- <laughs> Jen? No, Samantha, we're doing what I, I want. I will very quickly say that I love her in um Elizabethtown. I think she's very good in that. But my favorite movie of hers is 13 going on 30 because oh well I don't want to spoil it but it's very different from the other roles that she plays but it's also you know she is still the best friend but it's very different um actually you know what I don't think I, I don't think this is a spoiler because it it's very apparent within the first like 10 minutes but she's like a bad person like she's the bad guy um, oh no that's right that's okay yeah I don't mind spoilers anyway I mean it's she's very apparently not a good person from the beginning um so I don't consider that a spoiler spoiler but yeah she's a she's a very um she comes and she she does something different with it and so i really like her in that movie and also i was obsessed with that movie um i used to drive to florida all the time with my mom and we used to have like a little portable vhs player and i would play two movies on a loop the entire fucking drive down and it was one Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron and two 13 going on 30. <laughs> Double feature. <laughs> My favorite Judy Greer movie is from the best movie year in history, 1999, and it is Jawbreaker, in which oh. she plays Fern Mayo. Oh, yeah. The girl at the school who yeah. gets a makeover to help the cool kids cover up a murder. That I've never seen Jawbreaker. It's my favorite Judy Greer movie as well. I feel like Sadie will hate Jawbreaker, probably appreciate the style, dislike that, because it is like a, a sort of a dark comedy in the vein of like Heather's, except that all of the characters in Jawbreaker are so hateable. There is like not really like a redeemable, you know, anybody you're fist pumping to walk out at the end, you know? I kind of like it better than Heather's for some reason. I, my Rose McGowan crush, like, woof. 
you know, came in strong with Jawbreakers. Okay, so anyway, I'm looking at Judy Greer's IMDb right now because Samantha just reminded me, and now I must agree that I think uh, that's probably, oh my God, she was in the village. Too. Uh. I saw that in theaters and like the fucking twist when it was like the spoilers for the village 2004, y'all. Oh, we're actually in modern times, but we didn't let blind Bryce Dallas Howard know about it that antibiotics exist. Like, I was so upset by how stupid looking the, the monsters yeah. were. Yeah, my brother guessed the twist to that based on the trailer um this was like pre-internet forum (laughs) peak internet forum times and he watched the trailer and was like i bet it's actually modern era and they find out at the end because m night Shyamalan had developed a bit of a reputation uh at the point (laughs) after after he got the the bruce willis was dead thing she was also in the wedding planner. Let's see. Because all I could think of was like, just cursedly, I was just seeing the Judy Greer character from Arrested Development when you all were like, what's your favorite Judy Greer? And I was like, I don't think I could say that's my favorite, but that's all that's coming to my mind. Yeah, she was great as Fern. I think it's very funny and iconic of me that I thought that we had done five Judy Greer movies. <laughs> <laughs> Sadie's just thinking about all the Judy Greer movies she has seen. Like and here, the- I'm just in okay, shock so- that we haven't done 13 going on 30 yet. It's so it's, Sadie. I it's think definitely um, one of my favorite rom coms. Okay, it's it is going on the list for sure. For one, put, go ahead and put 13 going on 30 on there. But I think that my James Marsden appreciation stems from this time I went to visit my now sister in law in New York while my brother was out of the country modeling in the summer of 2008, and we watched a double feature of this movie 27 dresses and um is it just enchanted the one with amy adams yeah and they're making a sequel disenchanted oh my god and yeah so then i was like james marston i was like he is underrated it all stemmed from this one hungover day when it was too fucking hot we didn't even know what climate change would would still yet you know bring upon us at the time it was too hot to go outside and we were waiting until the clubs opened that night and we watched those two movies back to back and i was like all this time i thought james marston was a loser because he was cyclops but he is not and i do love the knowledge that you all have now bestowed upon me and now that sadie has given me access to the hbo max account i too can go watch westworld and get a meta appreciation for james marston understanding his own star image and place in the world and playing off of that and a television role. It is very good. And and speaking of Enchanted, we should also do Enchanted because I think that that one also is very Absolutely. like tongue in cheek of J- James Marston's whole um, filmography. It's very good. I think we should do Planet Earth. I'm just going to revolt and, and really try to break the <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> I think David Attenborough should get with this. <laughs> this penguin. <laughs> okay, okay. Did you guys watch? This is my time for a, a side a sidebar here. Do you all remember that Spy in the Pod show where they would send, that started with dolphins and it was so fucking heartbreaking because they had a camera to get these like views of the dolphins that they, that like was in a fake oh, dolphin, God. Like a robot dolphin. And they sent it into, 
And my heart was fucking broken because this one baby dolphin, right? So male dolphins, as they start to get to be teenagers or whatever, the pod runs them off to go find their uh, their own pod to join. As because adults, they're too you know? horny to be around at that stage. <laughs> you gotta be, yes, <laughs> say, go they, away. <laughs> the dolphins aren't about incest. Like the ladies don't want to be bothered by the, their teenage dolphin nephews or whatever. <laughs> so they're like, go away. You have to go find your own No, pod. there's a movie. <laughs> but this fucking spy in the pod show was horrible because the the robot dolphin camera went with this poor little young adult man dolphin and like accompanied him off. But he thought that the fake camera dolphin was like his real true friend and was bonded to it. And then when they made oh, it abandon no. him, it was horrible horrible that was like the cruelty of man knows no bounds like that i was forced to watch that also this poor dolphin that thought he had companionship and a loving family member with this fake robot dolphin and then they took it away from him my god but also fuck you david attenborough the crimes that dolphins that dolphins have committed against sea kind cannot be atoned for <laughs> How did we end up saying fuck you, David Attenborough, on a 27 Justice episode? <laughs> Just want to know how far we've come. <laughs> Dolphins, Sadie, they're too close. They're, we all, you know, I've been I've been playing, um, I'm up to Mass Effect 2. Also, I do have a segue for this the, once we're done. Oh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, you know, and maybe the Reapers did have the right idea because once our brains get too big, we just start hurting each other and everybody else because dolphins are a little too close to humanity that way that is why they commit crimes upon each other and see kind because they're they're smart like humans and maybe yeah. we should just wipe all of us out to let the crabs be free you know yeah <laughs> okay Sadie, my, do your segue. my segue for this was going to be that um the wedding between Katherine Heigl and James Marsden does occur on a beach, which is by the ocean where dolphins live. <laughs> That's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. but we'll allow it. Bringing it back. <laughs> what do you mean? But I just wanted to talk about my one beef of the movie, which is that I really do. I don't know if like. I think that it could have been cool to be kind of like she wanted to have the wedding that was just like her parents for a really long time. But that was actually because she was kind of craving that stability or like, you know, and that's not maybe what she actually wanted. And then for her to be like, oh, I want a beach wedding. And then later you see that she has her beach wedding that she actually wanted. But as it stands now in the movie, it's just like, she talks the whole time about how she wants to get married in her mother's wedding dress at the boathouse in like Central Park or whatever. I don't know where it is. Um, but then at the end, she just has a generic mid 2000s wedding dress on and she's at the beach. And it's like, okay, is that just like, what was what was all of this for? <laughs> was this James yeah. Marston's idea? Like what? He does not look like a man who <laughs> wants a beach Marston's wedding. Dream. He looks like a man who wants to get married in an old speakeasy. And yeah, yeah, that looks way more James Marston's face style. My quickly, my parents eloped. And um, they were in it. They were they, my dad was like, that was the best wedding I could have possibly had. <laughs> 
They were in and out in five minutes. Sadie, your podcast co-host also eloped. Which one? She's talking about herself. Namely me. (laughs) Yo, I had two full-ass ceremonies for my weddings. (laughs) Jen took my ceremony. I gave her one of my ceremonies, leaving me with zero and Jen with two. We worked it out in advance before becoming friends. Um, No, I... uh, yeah, Corey and I just got married in at the courthouse um, in Florida, just because it was like weddings are expensive and we have not much money. So it was like, hey, why don't we get health insurance? <laughs> so that's our romantic wedding love story. I was going to ask, have it's practical. either of you ever... It's practical and it is perfect for them also because you guys did go like sit out by the keys and watch the sunset. Yeah, that we night, had a great correct? weekend after that, yeah. but um, the wedding itself was just, we both put on like department store white uh, clothing and went to the courthouse and some officiant we didn't know married us in a sad room with like fake flowers in like a tiny little archway. Um, It was cute and dinky and cute because it was dinky. You guys have the full rom-com meet cute though and your proposal like your um uh what oh my god i'm going to i'm going to fuck this up right now uh <laughs> mtf that's it. my inscrutably it titled audiobook be a rom-com like oh my god you guys have the full fucking story but eloping is great <laughs> more and more i've talked to people who even if they have a ceremony end up like doing a courthouse wedding like beforehand like just themselves like the months before their family gets there just to like take care of all the administrative stuff and then you have to like not let it slip that you are actually already legally married if you do have a full ceremony i would recommend going the way that i and justin did with my good ceremony and my good marriage um oh shit i thought you had like (laughs) two ceremonies with justin like one for each i didn't know you were referring to no I, I didn't forget about it i just thought that that was like you know you just like went to the church one day with him or something like that no that was way more all the drama rama traditional wedding and it was terrible and you know like all the signs were there that it was going to fall apart besides being like a literal teenage bride um my stone fell out of my engagement ring like two oh my weeks God. before the wedding. And I was just trying to tell myself because I was like forcing myself through this, you know, like you, oh my you God. put the, all the, the, the wheels in motion and you're like, no, I can't back out now. No, I'm just going to get it fixed. I'm going to go through with Every this. magic eight ball the- you shook in the week before <laughs> said... <laughs> Tough road the ahead. The officiant called me by the wrong name during the ceremony. This was a man who has known me my whole life up until that point. And you guys, I, I go by Jen to all my friends. My name is Jennifer, it, but I, I have to end in a consonant. I am, you know, respect to the Jennies who are out there, but they are not me. I, my name is not Jenny. No, fuck Jennies and, and fuck David Attenborough too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, the officiant 
watching it literally in my in my doomed bad idea uh, marriage was like, do you, Jenny, take this man? And I answered for somebody who wasn't me. That's, you know, is what happened because I wasn't going to awkwardly be like, actually call me by my correct name in the middle of the ceremony. Actually, and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Call me by my name. Uh, Sadie, what is your dream wedding? I can't believe in all these years of rom-coming, we have not heard your big romantic fantasy. I'm so glad you asked, and I am going to send you both my Pinterest Oh no, I've bit off more than I can chill. (laughs) I'm ready, I'm ready. I want (laughs) to have kind of a like pretty jewel-toned constellation foresty mossy themed wedding. I want it to be very eclectic and I want all of my brides people, I don't know, I want them to have a set color scheme so each of them has a different like assigned color that makes up kind of a sunsetty thing because it's all going to be kind of sky themed so like night constellation and then like sunsetty colors. Um, and so each of them are going to be like assigned a color, they can choose whichever color they want to take and then they can find a dress, a suit, a whatever they want to wear that is in that color. And so that's what they will be wearing. And then I will have mismatched chairs. I want to have a small wedding. So like a maximum of like 50 to 100 people. Um, And yeah, that's it. And I also want kind of a potluck type thing. I'm not sure yet about the food. Just one bowl of seeds. But um, Everyone <laughs> One needs to the communal seed <laughs> And um <laughs> Yeah, and I want to get married in either a a library of some sort or a a museum of some sort. Um, I do not want to get married in a church, of course. Um, And also, I love the idea of getting married outside, but very, very dicey. Very dicey. What is a church but God's library, you know? Mm. (laughs) 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 Okay. I will say, though, about my good wedding and my good lasting marriage (laughs) that like the best thing we did, you know, I had made my mistakes with the, the first bad marriage, you know, and you have it all in one location is what you want to do for like a good wedding that's fun for everybody. Yes. We did more of the speakeasy, what like, uh, you know, kind of style that, uh, you know, James Marsden's face would be good for. Um, But yeah, we like literally just like had our officiant, who was my dad, come in. We came in. We didn't have any attendants there. You know, we just got married in front of everybody sitting at their little tables. Then we left the people. They brought us our food up to our own little private room. Everybody else ate. And then we re Entered, and then it was just a dance party for the rest of the night and it was grand and I would recommend that like immensely I I had whole- that is <laughs> that is exactly what I would like to because I think it, the, the the hardship the emotional hardship of like having to go from the actual wedding venue to like several hours later going to the reception is so terrible um, I would also probably God. not like I would maybe take like 10 minutes 10-15 minutes to do like little wedding photos but we're not doing the like ceremony at 11 a.m and then reception at five because no one's getting shit done in the end 
no one. Exactly. There's, like, there's no oh, going home. Oh, that's the worst. Like, it's just hit it. From the guest point of view, when you're like, you have to go to the second location or whatever, and they won't crack open the fucking buffet until the wedding party gets there and they're taking photos for like an hour and a half. Yeah. That sucks so much. Like, no. You gotta make it a good party for the guests or it's not gonna be fun for anybody. One of my cousins had the most fun wedding. Well, it was in the middle of July and it was in like a forest meadow. So it was kind of hot the whole time. But um, they had a circus themed wedding. And it was also kind of like pagan, Celtic, like the ceremony itself was. And the person who like officiated it was like a ringmaster thing, like he had a little top hat. And then after the ceremony was done, then we just walked across to the other side of the meadow where they had a big top tent. Um, And they had all like um, circus food, like popcorn and pretzels, like the like, like the big fried pretzels um, and all of that. And they had like little fun games and stuff. It was very nice. It was very nice. I think that they definitely drew inspiration from that one Degrassi commercial that everyone remembers uh, that had the song um, Sharks in the Water by V.V. Brown. Are you familiar? Are you familiar? <laughs> Anyone no, know what I'm talking about? you're all alone. Yeah. You're all alone in your meadow. Oh my god. CD, <laughs> will you serve Oreo McFlurries at your wedding? Oh, I'm I would love to I want I do not want to serve people individually it's definitely going to be like a buffet situation and you just grab what you want um because I can't I can't do that should have a McFlurry fountain oh well well it would have to it could it would be I want it to be more viscous than what a fountain could offer me (laughs) well you could just get a pretty intense motor you know uh something (laughs) Sounds like they can really churn. Pushing out solid sludge. (laughs) Uh, Well, shall we rate 27 dresses? Which let's rate. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's see. I will go ahead and go first. And um, I will rate this movie 24 out of 27 cool pics cameras. Because this movie was so fun. But it was also like, I love this movie. I think it's a very rewatchable rom-com. I think the characters are very likable. And I think it has a lot of depth to it that not a lot of other rom-coms of this era especially have um it does get a few points off because i feel like tess's character arc isn't as rounded as it could have been and also just the 2000s era of how they made the characters dress up in like cardigans with like the little tank top layers and then the boot cut jeans and then katherine heigl's apartment is just like so staged to the point where it doesn't make any fucking sense like how the tv is basically behind the couch it's a garnish to me um <laughs> it's i saw as a very quick aside so i am reading this so it's still technically my turn but um i there's this one girl on tiktok then I see this video all the time where she's showing off her like apartment and she has kind of a 
dark academia kind of dark kind of gothic style and she has her big a big flat screen tv on like a, a um a dresser thing a credenza i don't know what you call it a tv stand and but she has so much shit like candles and decorations in front of the tv that you fully can't like you entirely could not even see the tv behind it there's so much shit in front of it and she put in the comments she was like before you guys say anything no we don't use the tv if we you don't use it why would you have one and then everyone is like and then and then sh and then people were like um everyone does this i have a tv that's not even plugged in it's to bring the room together oh uh, no and i'm like what this is why we got a projector about? so that we, we didn't have to have a tv like on display because it's just like the black monolith from 2001 a space odyssey like eating up space in your room is this like so like maybe the the youthful tiktokers with their aesthetic or whatever do they actually watch their tv shows on their phones like why would you not be using I, they say TV? that they have a, a second tv in their living or in their bedroom that they use it makes no why sense. Why would you not Facebook Marketplace? I have no it, hope. Okay. <laughs> no hope for the future. Also, I don't know, when I look at any TikToker's house, at least the wealthy ones, it's just like, oh my God, they all have the exact same kitchen. Like every, every rich person in LA's kitchen is like exactly the same. Just the big range with the stainless steel hood and the marble countertops. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I did want to ask you all real quick. Have oh. any of us ever been a bridesmaid? No. No. Never yeah, a bridesmaid. I was always a, a bride. usher, but I was forced to <laughs> wear my bridesmaid. Always an usher, never a bridesmaid. Let me tell you. Because I was an usher Once for my cousin's wedding, a... and yet I was forced to buy the bridesmaid's dress for $120. I'm still not over it. Oh, shit. Damn. I have had to uh once i was a um a guest book attendant i had to sit there and i guess what i don't know what i was doing like make sure people didn't sign the book twice um but i had to wear an outfit for that but then I repurposed it because I got to wear it as a costume in um, my local community theater production of the Rocky Horror Show as well. So I will give 27 dresses, uh, 23 out of 27 gratuitous shots of the Brooklyn Bridge for scene setting. Um, really solid. And I think that we didn't appreciate it at the time. I think in the moment, everyone was like, what are these vapid rom-coms? And now looking back, we didn't know how good we had it because now the primary form of entertainment for an entire generation is 30 second videos of wealthy teens in Los Angeles showing off their apartments. Uh, RIP media. Decorative TVs, which they do not actually watch <laughs> film properties on <laughs> or play. You know, I don't, don't even get me started. I don't know what happened to video games. I'm using my TV again now because I'm playing the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, you know, but I don't, I don't, these kids in there, Fortnite is like old hat. Who even knows what they're doing? If we get to a point where uh, a character is like in a hype house, like a character in a movie, their occupation is hype house uh, 
person, then I I am going to go live in the Alaskan wilderness. Samantha, what do you think that the main character, L of the Kissing Booth franchise oh is going to graduate high school to do with her life? We're going to have to... How, I feel like Kissing Booth 2 <laughs> came out like like three weeks ago. How the fuck is there another one? Isn't that soon? Won't we have to do that like soon? Uh, yeah, I think it's next oh, month. God. But also, okay, aren't you guys grateful that they didn't split the third movie up into two parts? Like they went through that phase of doing with like Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and all that shit and Twilight. We could have had two Kissing Booth 3 movies instead of one probably three hour Kissing Booth Remember three how they split so we should just count <laughs> the last Twilight lessons. movie into two halves that both took place at one location? God damn. This is not like the dollhouse. This is like supposed to be a film franchise. Anyway. Jen, how many out of 27 do you rate? 27 oh, out of 27? Oh, no. Mm, let's see. I have not um, even thought about my ranking here. And I just now remembered when you ranked yours that we were supposed to be rating on a scale of 27 this week. So I will give this movie on my adjusted rom-com scale um, because you guys know that they're not necessarily always my cup of tea. But given the conventions of the genre, I, I actually did and do enjoy this one. So I will subtract um, the antebellum dress and at least two other um, dresses of other cultures that were presented in not so great ways for 20, 23 and a half, 24 of 27 dresses. Solid marks all around for 27 dresses. This movie was better to Katherine Heigl than anything else I have seen her appear in. And I think that this team sort of knew what to do with her in a way that we unfortunately did not see in other properties. Jen, what imperious demands should people make of the perpetual bridesmaid that is our podcast? Well, firstly, they should leave us a high rating if they're listening to us on any format such as Apple Podcasts where you can give us a five star. And if you don't like us, just skip the rating and just never speak of it again. (laughs) And... If we ever even check those, Samantha, I switched away from Apple Podcasts to Overcast uh, because mm-hmm. it doesn't take up as much space on my phone. So I haven't seen our ratings in a long time. <laughs> so hopefully, everyone loves us. We will just go forth assuming that everybody loves us, like a sports bar where Benning in the Jets is being enthusiastically sung by James Marsden and Katherine Heigl. And if you would like to talk to us, you should come visit us on Twitter at YSSTOG, or you can send us longer form emails. Have we checked that since our friend Eric wrote to us, by the way, at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com. We get like super excited. We have not. I'm sorry. I was muted once again. (laughs) Let me quickly check it. Check, 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 check. And if you would like to help support us streaming all of these movies legally, then you can join us on patreon.com slash YSSTOG and gain access to our Discord server where we talk about this and many other stupid things. And 
We shall wait to see if Sadie discovers an email or not before she reads the names of our beloved patrons. My condolences to our favorite patron, one of our favorite patrons. It's so hard to choose. Andrew, I I tuned in for the last 10 minutes of the Euro Cup and... It was genuinely a gut-wrenching final for England, who I was rooting for, despite my performative anti-UK bias on the podcast. I wanted the lads to take it home, as they say, and those penalty kicks were, or what do they call them, an extra time? I don't know how you talk about soccer. When they kick at the end because it's tied and they can't end it in a tie, that was hard to watch. I... I express my sympathies to everyone who was sad, and I myself had to mute a record-breaking seven words in one night just so that I could be <laughs> free of all of the tweets about that. Now Sadie will game. never know anything that uh, happens in Italy because <laughs> Italy has been wiped out of Sadie's episteme, just obliterated. <laughs> By the way, um, let's see. Um, some of our other patrons who Sadie is about to list in full, Logan, not Logan Mayonnaise, unless Logan Mayonnaise also was watching this season of The Bachelorette. I do have some thoughts that we will take to the Discord to discuss in the appropriate channel. Sound off. Jen, you and I should do a Bachelorette episode <laughs> uh, when see. the finale airs. Of, uh, <gasps> I yeah. would love to. Take it away, Sadie. I will gladly tune in. Okay, our lovely, wonderful Patreons. Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, and Liz. We love you all so very much. I thought you were about to take off there. The Let's end. see. <laughs> <laughs> We love yeah. you all so very much. Also, Xenalon, I have been listening to your playlists and enjoying them immensely. Thank you for that. I will write you about it soon. <laughs> and Evan, congratulations on your new job, which I will not disclose on the podcast. <laughs>